0: Well, welcome to the second week of our series, Scared to Live. And we are so grateful that you're giving us some of your time tonight. And we want to honor that. So we're going to jump right into our content uh, for tonight. And uh, what we're going to see is that tonight is a continuation of where we were last week. It's a continuation of the conversation that we started last week. And so with that being said, if you weren't here last week or uh, you haven't been able to catch the content on our podcast channel, let me give you a brief summary of where we were. You see, last week we spent time with a man and woman named Adam and Eve, which you've probably heard of before. Um, And we spent time with them in their story and and we looked at a specific moment where they experienced shame where they experienced shame in a way that most of us, if not all of us, do. And so what we saw was that when they encountered that, when they came face to face with that, they hid in that shame, but they also retreated further into it. That when given the chance to come face to face and have an honest conversation about what had happened, they retreated further into the sin. And so... We said that last week, you know, we could continue that pattern. Uh, we can continue to do the same old thing or we could do something different or we could do something, uh, that is different than that. And so last week we saw that. We should bring our stuff to God, and and tonight, what we're going to talk about and what we're going to see is how do we do that? Because the stuff that we carry, the stuff that we uh, carry with us, it can be heavy at times. The shame can be heavy. The guilt can be heavy. So, what do we do with that? You know, we we, we said last week that God wants us to bring our stuff to Him. He knows us. He knows that we're going to make mistakes. He knows that we're going to say dumb things, do stupid things. He knows all these things, and so nothing that we nothing that we can do will surprise him. He's not surprised. And so he wants us to bring our stuff to him. So how do we do that? What does that look like for us? And so at this time, I want to invite our Bible crew for tonight to uh, come grab some Bibles and to pass them out to the people who are here with us um, in person. Listen, if you are uh, watching this online or you are listening to this content at, at a later date, hey, we want to encourage you to grab a Bible as well. Go find a Bible of your own because we want you to see the words of Jesus. We, we, we want you to experience the living word of God. And so while they're passing out the Bibles, let me tell you who we're going to be with tonight. Let, let me tell you, let me introduce to you uh, the person that we're going to be with tonight. And you've probably heard of this man before, but we're going to be spending time with a guy named David. And... Uh, Again, you, you've probably heard of him, but before we get um, into any of his story, uh, let's take some time tonight to read uh, our focus verses of where we're going to be tonight. Before we go any further, so we're going to be in 2 Samuel, chapter twelve, verses fifteen through twenty-three, and we're going to we're, we're going to read all the way through that, and then we're going to uh, go back and unpack it um, as much as we can. So, starting in verse fifteen of Second Samuel. Chapter 12 it says this After Nathan had gone home the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David and he became ill David pleaded with God for the child he fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground the elders of the, of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground but he refused and he would not eat any food with them on the seventh day the child died David's attendants we were afraid to tell him that the that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, "Why are you acting this way While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and eat." He answered, "While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept." I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now he is dead. Why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So to fully understand what's going on here in our verses tonight, we have to go backwards a little bit. We have to see what's going on before this. So. uh If you've never heard of David, maybe you've been living under a rock and this is your first day um, on the planet and you have decided to spend it with us and we're grateful for that. Um, But in case you haven't heard about David before, let me give you some key moments in his life. So if you go to 1 Samuel 16, you see that David is anointed as the next king of Israel. So a guy comes and he says, David, the Lord sees you, he chooses you, and uh, in a while you're going to be the next king of Israel. And then when you go into the next chapter in 1 Samuel 17, you see David defeat Goliath, which we have all probably heard of before. And then when you skip over a, a, a few chapters to 2 Samuel chapter 5, you see that David becomes king. So in 1 Samuel 16, he was anointed to be the next king. And then in 2 Samuel 5, he becomes the king of Israel. And then in 2 Samuel 11, not soon after 2 Samuel 5, We see the story of David and Bathsheba. So I want to give special attention, some special time uh, to the story between David and Bathsheba. Because that leads David to where he is in our verses tonight. That leads David to the moment that we just read through tonight. But before we go any further in this, there is one thing that you and I have to understand. And it's this, that sin comes with consequences. Again, sin Comes with consequences, and there's no exceptions to this there's no uh, this applies to everything but this no there are no exceptions to this, but uh, if you're like me, at times you live like there are you live as if there are exceptions to this. We tell ourselves that it's okay to cross a line just one time or or maybe occasionally, and you see David in this moment in the verses that we just read, David is coming face to face. With the consequences of his sin, he's coming face to face with the consequences of the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. And so, maybe you've never heard of that story. So, I'm going to give you the uh, the, the reader's digest version of that. And so, uh, again, for the second time, uh, here's what here's is essentially what what happens with David and Bathsheba. So, one night, David uh, is up on his rooftop. He sees Bathsheba, uh, finds her attractive, and decides to Sleep with her. Now, Bathsheba was married, so you do the math and see uh, how well that worked out for David. Because if you keep reading, uh, after David had slept with Bathsheba, uh, Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and David decides that he's going to try to set Uriah up. And Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. He's going to try to set Uriah up to sleep with Bathsheba. That way, it looks like the baby is Uriah's, and that doesn't work. And, and, and David tries this a couple different times and it never works. And so David then decides, I'm going to take this a step further. So David then decides to send Uriah, because at this time they were in a battle, they were in a war. So David decides to send Uriah up to the fiercest part of the war in order that he might die. In order that Uriah might die and that David can come and take Bathsheba Sheba as his wife and 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 take ownership of his son now simply put if you look at this and you put it side by side to the story of Adam and Eve David is doing the exact same thing that they did see David decided to hide and retreat further into his shame because there had to be shame there when he realize what he had done because if there had not have been shame within David, he would not have gone through such extraordinary lengths to get Uriah out of the picture. And so David, just like Adam and Eve, he hid in his shame, but then he retreated further and further into it. So as I said um, at the beginning of our time tonight, we're going to see how we should bring our stuff to God because God wants us to he wants you to bring your stuff to him he wants you to bring your shame to him he wants you to bring your sin to him he wants you and again nothing surprises him and so David tonight gives us a beautiful picture of what that looks like he gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to bring our stuff to God so let's go back through this piece by piece and let's start um, in in verses 15 through 17 where it says this, After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. So it's pretty easy to see that David is going through something extreme right now. And it's understandable, right? He... He sees his son suffering, and so that causes a response in him. Now we don't know what the specific illness was. We don't know what uh, the child was struck with, but we do know uh, that it that it ends with him dying. and And as a parent, I can't imagine watching my child. I can't I, I, I can't imagine watching Emberling go through an illness that is just debilitating. And eventually kills her off. Like right now, she has a little cough. She's a little congested. And let me tell you, every time that she coughs, well, most of the time when she coughs, um, I become hyper vigilant because I'm getting worked up over a cough. So I can't imagine what David's going through right now. I can't. And so, not only is David sleeping on the ground in a sackcloth, or in a sackcloth, which can I just tell you that sleeping in a sackcloth is not comfortable. I would not recommend it to anybody. So, not only is he sleeping on the ground, which is uncomfortable, sleeping in a sackcloth, which is uncomfortable, he's also not eating. Now, there's not a lot of things that will prevent me to that will prevent me from eating. If I'm going to say no to food, something really intense is going on in my life. But David's there, and he's going through it. So when we look at this, from a biblical standpoint, David is practicing something that we would call lamenting, or that we would call a lament. Now, this word may sound strange because, you know, no one really uses that word. You don't really hear someone walking down the street just saying, Oh, man, I feel really lamentish today. Man, I am really lamenting myself. No, no, no one says that. So it might sound strange. So I decided to go and, and look at how it's defined. And, and, and here's here's what it said. that uh, That a lament is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. So it's easy to see David's grief and sorrow in these verses. It's easy to see his expression of grief and sorrow he's he's so struck with grief and sorrow that he's not eating he's not sleeping on his bed or his cot he is sleeping on the ground in a sackcloth now i can't help but imagine that his, that his mind went back to the conversation that he had with nathan because you see nathan was a person that was called to speak truth to david and when and when nathan confronted david about his sin with Bathsheba, nathan told him that the lord was going to spare david but take his son. So I had to imagine that David's mind went back to that conversation and he asked himself, What did I do? And honestly, how many times have we been there where we've seen a situation play out or a circumstance playing out uh, because of our decisions, because of the sin that we've maybe walked into, and we have thought to ourselves, What have I done? So let me ask you a question tonight. When is the last time? Your sin caused you deep grief or sorrow. When's the last time your sin broke you? Because as I said a few moments ago, we have times where we tell ourselves that it's okay to cross the line, or uh, one time or occasionally, or, or we tell ourselves that that the sin that we choose to walk in is small and insignificant compared to others. And if I'm honest, I've, I've been there plenty of times. Even this week, I've been there. Honestly, um, I've been to the place where I've said that my sin is insignificant or it's small. But if that's your if you've ever thought that, can I can I tell you something? Any sin is significant. Any sin significant. Every kind of sin separates us from God. So every time that we decide to walk into a particular sin, and I say walk into because more than likely, when we walk into sin, it's, it's by our own choice. No one forces us into sin. Now there may be situations or circumstances out there but most of the time we are walking in that on our own according like we said last week that the only person to blame for your decisions are you and so every time that we walk into a particular sin we are breaking god's heart because he doesn't want us to live in sin he has a life he has a beautiful picture playing for your life but that but that picture is ruined by sin every time it happens and so every time that we walk into sin we're walking further away from what God has for us, and it breaks His heart. So again, when's the last time your sin broke you? When's the last time you actually sat down and counted the cost of what your sin is, is costing you? Or you, when's the last time you, you you sat down and said, "Man, what am I doing right now?" When's the when's the last time that's happened? When's the last time you you stopped living? As if there's exceptions to sin and realize just what sin is and sin is sin and it's dangerous, it is destructive. If you've been there, where has that led you? Because see, David was there and it led David to somewhere, it led David to somebody and for David it led him to God. So let's jump down to verses 22 and 23 where it says, He answered while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So between verses 22 and 23, and where we were at first with with verses 15 through 17, you see the child passes and. And uh, the the attendants of David, they're they're whispering and and they're like, uh, so who who who's gonna tell David about his son? And no one wants to do it. So I can imagine they're sitting around the table or uh, they're standing in the hall and they're like going down the line saying, nope, not it, not it, not it. Nose goes because they don't want to tell David that his son's dead. They're they're whispering, and it even says that one that the attendants said that how can we tell David the child is dead because he may do something desperate. They were scared, and then David picks up on the vibe. David's like, okay, something, they're whispering about something. They're not talking to me, so something's up. So David straight up asked them, hey, is my son gone? And they said, yes. And David does this 180, and all of a sudden he's eating, he, he, he's bathing, he's clean, and the attendants are like, what is going on? A minute ago, you're over there on the floor looking dirty, looking all rough, but now you're good because your son is gone. So, like, what is going on? So, why did David bring his lament to God? Why did David bring it to God? I believe the answer lies in verse 22, which says, Again, he entered While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. So, why did David bring... His lament to God, because I believe that David knew that if anyone could heal his son, it was God. If anyone could bring his son through this illness, it was God. And listen, when when we bring our stuff or our grief or our sorrow to God, every time he takes it and he shows us grace, every single time. He doesn't hold it over our heads he shows grace. Now, maybe you, you're sitting there and you're, and you're listening. And you're thinking, "Okay, Aaron, how 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 does God taking the son away equal grace? How is that God showing David grace?" Well, if you go on to verses 24 and 25, you see that David and Bathsheba are given another son, and it says explicitly that the Lord loved him. So. The grace came with a second chance. The grace came with a child that the Lord loved. And every time that we're given a second chance or a third or a fourth or a fifth or a however many, that is grace every single time. Now, there's going to be times where we bring our limits to God and it doesn't change anything. There's going to be times where we bring our prayers to God and it doesn't change anything. And we don't get what we want. But can I tell you this, that just because grace doesn't look like we think it should, doesn't mean God isn't showing grace. What if we're blocking God from doing big things in our life because we aren't trusting Him or accepting the things that He does in our life? What if we are the ones in the way of God doing incredible things? What if? So listen, as we bring this to a close, if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never given Him your life, you've never called Him your Savior, that's where you need to start. And that is the only thing you need to do tonight. That is the only thing you got to worry about right now in this moment. Because see, to be in right standing with God, it comes through a relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. If you look at, if you go read John 14, 6, it says that Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the only way to God is through a relationship with Jesus. And now because of our sinful nature, Because we're sinners, you're a sinner, even when you become saved, even when you give your life to Jesus, you are still going to sin. Because of our sinful nature, we can't be in right standing with God without a relationship with Jesus because what he did on the cross, it wasn't just dying on a tree, it wasn't just suffering a death, it was giving us a chance to become right again with God. It was giving us a chance, a second chance to become part of the family of God. So how do you get that? Well, Romans ten nine through 10 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So if you're willing to believe in your heart that you're a sinner who needs the saving power of Jesus and confess that with your mouth to yourself, to someone here, to a parent, grandparent, whoever, Jesus will commit to being your Savior forever. And listen, with that commitment that he gives, he's going to walk with you through anything and everything. And listen, if you want to know more about what that looks like, and if you want to know more about how to come into the family of God, listen, I would love to talk to you. You can pull me aside. You can message me. You can pull one of these adults aside. They would love to talk to you. And so, again, if you have never done that, if you've never done that, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, and I'm not talking about telling me facts and figures and all that. No, I'm talking about a daily living relationship where you are all in, where you are committed no matter what to Jesus. If you've never done that, if that's not where you are today, that is where you have to start. And that is the only place that you can start. Now, for those that are Christians, for those that have gone through this process of believing in their heart and confessing with their mouth, If you're here tonight and that's you, I want to give you a challenge. I want to give you uh, something to do, something to take this with you. Because listen, if you've never put your faith in Jesus and you make that commitment, that's all you got to worry about tonight. That is the only thing we want you to do tonight. We we, we want you to just make the best decision you can. But if you're here and you've already done that, listen, here's your challenge. Find a time this, this next week between tonight and next Wednesday and read Psalms 51. If you have siblings here in this group, read it with them. If your parents help and volunteer, read it as a family. But read through Psalms 51, because Psalms 51 is a a lament written by David after his sin with Bathsheba. So after David did this thing with Bathsheba, he wrote this lament. And I want you to read through that and just imagine what it could be like, what it might be like for you to apply that language, to apply the brokenness that you see in there and apply it to your sin. Apply it to the sin that you have in your life, the shame that you have in your life. Because again, even if you have given your life to Jesus, you still have sin. We all sin. And the best thing you can do with that is bring it to God. So whatever God is leading you to do tonight, or maybe later on when you're listening to this content on our podcast channel or whatever, will you respond with boldness? Will you respond obediently? So whatever that looks like, respond to that. And let's end our our time together tonight in prayer. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for tonight and for allowing us to come and to be into your word. God, I pray right now that if there's anyone that does not know you, anyone that does not have a relationship with you, God, let tonight be it. Let tonight be the night that they give their life to you. Let them believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that they are a sinner who needs you. They need you, Jesus. Let anyone who has never done that do that tonight. For the ones that have gone through that, for the ones that have given their life to Jesus, God, break our hearts for our sin. When we sin, when we walk into the things that you would have us avoid or or not be a part of and we decide to walk into it, God, break our hearts for that. Break our hearts because of that, God. Give us the boldness to bring it to you. God, we love you for all that you are, and we're so grateful for your son, Jesus. And it is in it his great and awesome name that we pray. Amen.